Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This is episode 75, in which we're going to discuss 10 free van life activities. We'll also talk about P-traps, or S-traps, or all kinds of traps. You'll understand when we're done. A tale from the road from Wales, and place to visit that involves cigarette machines. Hello everyone, welcome back. I am very happy to be here with you. Lots to talk about today, so we're going to dive right into it without any further ado. I hate saying that. I'm never going to say that. Pretend I didn't say that. I'll never say it again. I apologize. All right, look, van life can be more expensive than people expect. A lot of folks jump in their van and think, I'm free, I'm free, no rent, no mortgage, no electric bill, no cable bill, and then suddenly they're like, how am I spending $2,000 a month doing this? So looking for ways to save money in the van is always a good thing. And while people tend to focus on energy costs and build costs and food costs and things like that, there's another cost, and that is entertainment. Now, there are infinite ways to entertain yourself in a van, and I'm certainly not going to be able to cover all of them. And you are already aware of many of them. Yes, you can go hiking for free. You can play basketball for free. There's a bunch of things like that you can do. But there might be some things that you haven't thought of. And here is a list of 10 that I came up with that you should consider, or at the very least, you should use to get ideas for your own activities. So number one, geocaching and letterboxing. Now I know these are pretty common these days and most people know what they are, but if you don't, allow me to explain. Letterboxing and geocaching are two different ways to do the same thing, which is to solve puzzles and find hidden things all over the world. Now with geocaching, these are typically boxes and they can be little tiny things as small as the cap of a soda bottle or much bigger boxes. And inside there will be a log and some trinkets. And the idea is you take a trinket and leave a trinket. Many of these have very intricate puzzles and that's the fun. The fun is trying to solve the puzzle and then finding the geocache and leaving your own thing for the next person. Letterboxing is very similar. It seems to be more of a European thing, but in this case there's a stamp in there and you're stamping a book. Or you bring your own stamp and stamp the book in the box. That's how that one works. Same idea, but not exactly the same. There are a few variations of this. One of them uses QR codes. It's kind of an electronic geocaching system. But the idea is that no matter where you go now, you have an activity, you have something you can do. If you're stuck in Detroit for the weekend and don't want to spend any money, go geocaching. If you're in Muir Woods and you're kind of bored of all the trees, which I personally can't understand, I'll bet you money there are some geocaches there. And if you want to do something to give back to the community, you can always set up your own. So go ahead and Google these terms. Learn about all the different ways you can find these hidden things all around the world. And that can be a fun day, weekend, or heck, maybe a whole year. Number two, whenever you get to a new place and you know you're going to stay there for a while, check Roadside America and Atlas Obscura for their lists of things to do in the area because their lists are not the normal lists. For example, they will not mention Disney World. They may mention some specific strange thing there, but they're not mentioning things that people know about. They're mentioning the really weird things like the world's largest 
cow or glowing earthworms in Georgia or things like that. And there are hundreds and hundreds of these, and they often will lead you into these little rabbit holes. Now, they're not all free. Some of them are little museums, and you have to pay money for them. But you know that up front. And there's tons and tons of different ways to approach this. You could create a tour for yourself of just seeing muffler men all across North America. If you're not familiar with muffler men, these are those giant fiberglass statues of people that were originally designed to hold mufflers, but now hold all kinds of things from axes to baby pigs to whatever the owners came up with. Number three, consider collecting places. So I am collecting auroras right now. This is my activity for the summer. I'm going to visit every aurora in the United States, which you have all heard me say way too many times. You can do that with anything. For example, let's say you are a baseball fan, but you don't have that much money. You can visit every single baseball park in the country. You don't have to go in. You don't have to buy tickets. There's stuff around the baseball parks that's interesting. I mean, I don't live that far from Wrigley Field in Chicago, and I can tell you there's at least half an hour's worth of activity around Wrigley Park. You could just make it your mission to take pictures of the signs of all the ballparks or a selfie with one of the statues outside the ballpark. Something like that. Whatever strikes your fancy. Places can be collected just like anything else can be. And then maybe you create your own Instagram account just for that. However you want to handle it, it's up to you. Number four, and this one really intrigues me, history trails. All across the United States, there has been a westward expansion, a westward movement, sometimes good, sometimes bad. History is nothing if not complicated. But a lot of these famous journeys, like the Trail of Tears and the Oregon Trail and the Trail of Death, which is similar to the Trail of Tears but different, they all are well marked and you can follow them completely free. Obviously, you have to be able to move and some of these are quite long. So yes, I know gas is expensive now, so I'm kind of not counting gas but you have to consider that too. But holy cow, you can learn an incredible amount and get a totally different perspective on these things that you read about in elementary history class. And there's all kinds of history. There's a blues trail. If you like the blues, there's a trail you can follow to learn about the blues and see all these historic places. It goes all the way from Mississippi to Chicago. There's, of course, Route 66, but there's also the Lincoln Highway, which was the first east-west highway across the country. There are endless places like this, and learning about history is never a bad thing. Number five, might seem obvious, but it isn't obvious to everyone, bird watching is free. And bird watching can be done in so many different ways. What I think would be a fun project would be to try to follow the migration of birds. For example, there are birds that start off in northern Maine and then head to Florida. Or there are the sandhill cranes, which are quite large and pretty easy to follow because you can see them as they fly in the air. You could follow them around. It's kind of like being a roadie for the birds. I think that would be a lot of fun. But most bird watchers now maintain something called a life list, which is this big, long list of birds that they've seen their entire life. And you could always start one of those, and it would always be something you could do, no matter where you were in the world. Number six, champion trees. If you watched my recent vlog about my trip to Dismal's Canyon on YouTube, I took a video of a champion tree there. I love champion trees. Champion trees 
Champion trees are the largest tree in a given area. For example, there will be a national champion tree and then a state champion tree. Sometimes there's more than one because measuring trees is not a precise science. But champion trees are always fascinating and they always have a story to tell because they tend to be very, very old. I've seen a number of champion trees recently, one of which was a champion cypress in Illinois believe it or not. Of course, it was the Illinois state champion. There are much bigger cypresses down south. And it was a thousand years old. That tree had been in that same spot growing for a thousand years, and I was able to just paddle by it. I personally would love to do a tour of collecting champion trees. However, I don't know that there are that many other tree fans out there that would find it interesting. So I'm going to stick with auroras for now. Number seven, rock collecting. Look, this is just as viable as anything else, and what you may not know is there are free mines all around the country for mining stones. Up in eastern Oregon, you can mine sunstones for free. There are places to mine, mine, dig, mining and digging are kind of the same thing, for fossils for free. Seashells can count. You could just collect seashells from every beach all around the country. Heck, you can even do diamonds at Diamond Crater State Park in Arkansas, the only diamond mine in the United States. And then if you were clever about it, you'd have something to decorate your van with too. Number eight, photography. All right, now this one is obvious and yes, it costs money to have equipment, but it's not about the equipment. It's about what you're photographing. Phil Collins, if you remember him, former lead singer of Genesis and then incredibly popular solo artist and collector of Alamo memorabilia for some reason, made a music video when he was at the height of his fame and every other verse showed him standing in some other famous place. To film a video like this would have cost a fortune because he was in like 40 different famous places just for this one video. But of course the trick is is that he filmed it while he was on tour. Before he went to perform that day, he would go to whatever famous place was there, the Taj Mahal, Big Ben, whatever it was, and sing one verse of his song for the video. And if you watch it, you'll see he changes clothes an awful lot. I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't do the same thing. Heck, make a song filming yourself in front of every post office in a state. You can use your camera any way you want, but there's no reason why your photos can't be a project. And there is endless, endless stuff there. And now with digital photography, it's virtually free to take as many pictures as you want. Incredible potential there. Number nine, less obvious, but something I find equally, if not more interesting, collect sounds. Sure, people collect photos of this as, oh, I took photos of every plant or tree or bird I saw. But who's collected sounds? I can imagine a project where you would drive across the country and then every day at noon, you would record two minutes of audio every day at noon as you drove across the country. And then you'd combine them into one and you'd have some big audio narrative of your trip across the country. Maybe you would hear traffic noises on day one. Maybe you would hear birds on day three. And at the end, maybe you'd hear the surf crashing. I don't know how it would work out for you, but I think that would be a really interesting thing to listen to. As a side note, there is an app kind of built for this, but kind of not really. It's called Four. 33. That's four minutes and 33 seconds. It is a famous song by John Cage in which there is no music. If you look at the sheet music, it's actually four minutes and 33 seconds of rest. 
And while that might seem like a joke, it is anything but. It's actually a very high form of art. Because when you are in an auditorium listening to this piece for 4 minutes and 33 seconds, what you're hearing is the music. You hear the artists sitting there. You hear people around you moving a little bit, the rustle of their clothing. Maybe somebody coughs. You're hearing a performance that involves everybody and everything and will only ever happen that once. Imagine if you did that same thing everywhere you traveled with some limiting factor. Again, just ideas. Don't do exactly what I'm saying, but use these things to generate your own ideas. And number 10, you can create art with your GPS. Many folks have done this. Basically, you set up your GPS app or device or whatever you're using to track your location to leave a trace. And then you draw that trace with your body or your car. And you can draw whatever you want, and it can be any size you want. People have done this all across the United States. People have done it in their hometowns. Some people will spell a different letter every single day and then record it to make a video or a slideshow or whatever to make a message for somebody or maybe a message for the world. You can use your GPS that way. And again, it's just another piece of art. And that's kind of what I've realized here in this list. Almost everything I've said in this list involves making your own art. And making art means making meaning. And that's what the activities part of van life is about. So I hope these will give you some ideas for what you can do and give you that itch to get out on the road. Tech Talk. Let's talk about P-traps and S-traps and traps. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about drains. Yes, it's a very exciting topic, but it's also a very important one and one that people have trouble with all the time. So underneath your sink and underneath your shower, should you be lucky enough to have one, obviously there's a drain, but where does that drain go? A lot of folks just put a straight pipe there into whatever they have for a storage tank. And some of you don't have a storage tank and you're just letting that straight pipe go outside. I'm going to ignore that for now and you're going to ignore this part for now because it doesn't apply to you, although I don't know that that's the best practice. For those of you with a tank, it isn't that simple. You can't just have a straight pipe going into the tank. You can. It's obviously not impossible, but it will not work well for a bunch of reasons. One is that as water goes in the tank, air has to come out of the tank. Where's it going to go? If you haven't installed a vent, that air is going to come back up the drain and it's going to bubble and gurgle and you're not going to be able to drain very well. The other thing that's going to come up is whatever smells are inside your tank. And you don't want that. In fact, in some cases, they can be dangerous. In houses... These traps are required by law, not so much to keep the smell out, although that is certainly a benefit, but to keep the dangerous gases out, like methane and hydrogen sulfide, these things that can live in sewers. You do not want them sneaking up into your house. So you need to have some kind of a trap installed between your tank and your sink. The most simple is the S-trap. Guess why it's called that? That's right, it looks like an S. And the trap part isn't the pipes, although we call them that. It's the water in the pipes. The idea is that the water that you let go down the drain won't completely drain. Some of it will stay in the pipe and prevent the gases from coming. That is your goal. So there is an S trap that makes kind of an S laying on its back. 
Those are not favored anymore because they tend to dry out. And if you drive your vehicle, what will happen is some of the water will siphon and they will go dry very quickly. So they're not the greatest thing. They're better than nothing. The next and what most RVs use these days is called a P-trap. That's because it looks like the letter P. You can see what they're going for here. But P-traps have something that's not obvious, and that is a pipe that lets air in. That is not necessarily practical in your van, however. You can put in a P-trap and you can put in a vent either under the sink or wherever you have your tank. Or if your tank is mounted under the van, I could see a way that you could have the vent be outside the van. But never mind that, there's a better way. Camco, C-A-M-C-O, and I've talked about this before, makes a brilliant RV drain that's very small and solves all these problems. Just go ahead and search for Camco RV drain. I'll have a link in the show notes, but you'll find it. It is a little tiny elbow that goes under your drain and it has a flexible hose. And the design of this elbow keeps just enough water in there to keep the gases from coming up, yet it still drains carefully. And it also doesn't take up your whole cabinet. It only takes up a few inches. So that to me is the best way to solve these problems. Now you should still have some venting. And the way this works is that that flexible hose is just kind of stuck in the container and there's venting around the hole where it goes in. For example, in mine, I just have it going into a jerry can and it's not sealed tightly around it. And that works well for me. At the very least, give it a look and see if it's the solution to your problems. But now you understand a little bit more about how these drains work. Tales from the road. I got a lovely note from a man named Jonathan, and Jonathan lives in Wales. Jonathan was kind enough to send me a tale from the road in Wales, and I promised him that I would read it with a Welsh accent. Little known secret, my last name, Wag, W-A-G-G, is actually pronounced Smith in Wales. No, it's not. I'm kidding. That is a joke, and it's also a joke to think that I could possibly read this with a Welsh accent. So please forgive me for reading this with my strange American accent. It's all I got. This is the tale from Jonathan. About a decade ago, when I was in my early 20s, my partner and I took a short weekend trip to Three Cliffs Bay in the south of Wales. I was in a little Citroen Berlingo that I had expertly converted into a camper van. It contained a mattress, a duvet, and two pillows. Most importantly, though, it had a cooler with ice and a bottle of Speyside whiskey inside. Truly prepared, we drove about five hours from Buckinghamshire, England, to a little campsite atop a cliff that overlooked the ocean. To get down to the beach, you had to descend never-ending cobble path. The path is so long because the incline is very slight, so by the time you reach the bottom, you don't really realize how high up the top of the cliff is. Anyway, we walked across the beach, swam in the sea, and marveled at the beauty of the area. As the afternoon came to an end, we decided to climb up a small portion of a cliff on the left-hand side of the beach. We found a nice place to sit, shared a hip flask of whiskey, and toasted to Poseidon. Now, I was about as sharp as a marble at this point in my life, which became glaringly obvious as the tide started to come in and our route back down was completely cut off. Up we go then, I thought. I confidently led my partner to a what should have been obvious 
false horizon. My partner was making it very clear to me that she was not a fan of my plan, but I insisted that the next horizon I could see was definitely, most assuredly, the top of the cliff. We reached that next false horizon, and I started to doubt my ability to make this plan come together. It was approaching dusk. Our incline was becoming exponentially steeper, and the rocks we were using to pull ourselves up were now covered in the sharpest thorns nature could think to create. What's worse, I had realized the mortal peril I had placed us in. If we fell, we would have died. My partner was being extremely vocal with me by this point, but I knew I had to remain calm for her, despite my ever-growing concern. We pushed on up, reaching false horizon after false horizon. It seemed like it would never end. We eventually got to a point that seemed too hard to climb, and I admitted defeat. I pulled out my phone and went to find the number for the Coast Guard, but, of course, I had no signal. I held my phone up towards the sky, praying for a single bar. And just as I began to lose hope, a couple of heads popped over the actual real last horizon of the cliff. My partner began to cry with joy. They asked if we needed help, but knowing that we were so close to the top, we declined. We endured the thorn-covered rocks and dragged ourselves up that last stretch. We were aching, bruised, cut, covered in dirt, and exhausted, but we had made it to the top. We cried and laughed and high-fived and hugged each other on the grassy precipice, eventually collapsing to the ground. We eventually made our way back to the van, had some dinner, drank the rest of the whiskey, and made an agreement to never, ever climb a cliff face again. However, the lesson I really took away from that day was a little different. I had practically zero situational awareness. I didn't think about the tide, I didn't think about the dangers of climbing without experience or equipment, I didn't think about the potential cost of the Coast Guard coming out to rescue me, I didn't think about how high the cliff really was, and most importantly, I didn't think about my partner's ability or desire to scale that cliff face. Thankfully, I've grown into a more observant, careful, and respectful man. She's still with me, somehow. Well, Jonathan, I'm, I'm glad that worked out for you, although I do kind of wonder what would have happened if you had been able to reach the Coast Guard, and they showed up to discover that you were only 10 feet from the top of the cliff. I think that also could have been a humorous story. But again, congratulations on your success, and your growing, and your continued relationship. Folks, if you have a tale from the road you would like me to read on the air, or if you would like to record it for yourself, just send me a note at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. Product review. I received a most wonderful thing in the mail not that long ago, and it came in a box, oh, about the size of a large book. And inside was a cutting board. And you might say, well, it's just a cutting board. Why are you so excited about that? No, no, this is a very special cutting board. This one was made just for me, just for my van, and burned into it were the words, built to go, in the font from my podcast. It seems that my friend Hal Bidlack, who I've mentioned before and has contributed to this show, has started a little side project to add to his incredible resume, and that is that he creates interesting and custom things out of wood. And as much as I like this one thing he sent me, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg about what's possible. And I'm going to turn this into a little bit of an ad for Hal because his work is so nice and his demeanor is so nice 
that I think that if you needed something custom for your van or to give as a gift to somebody else who has a van, which is, you know, something we're always looking for, but it's a little hard to do because there's no space for anything, you should give Bidlax Bowls and More a look on Etsy. I'll have a, a link in the show notes. Basically, he can do, basically, he can do things like create rolling pins and bowls and little chests and cutting boards in any shape and size for your van, and he can take your logo whatever you have created for your van or whatever words you want, and then burn them into the surface. And he does it in a clever way, like for my cutting board, for example, the built-to-go is burned in on one side, but the idea is that you'll actually use the other side. So the burnt-to-go side is always pristine and you can hang it somewhere. He may even be able to make a sink cover for you. I'm talking with him about this. We haven't completely worked it out. But let's say you have a dog bowl sink like I do and you want to make a little cover for it. He thinks he can make those. It'll require a lot of measuring and a lot of patience, but I definitely think it's possible. So if you are looking for a gift for another van life person, or you want something special to commemorate the fact that you finally finished your build, I do recommend you check out Bidlax Bowls and More on Etsy. I'll have a link in the show notes, and I'll show you a picture of the lovely thing he made me, so you know why I'm so excited. Thank you, Hal. A place to visit. This place to visit actually came from my list of 10 things to do that were free, but I, I took it off because it's not technically free, although it can be, and I'll stop talking so I can explain what I'm talking about. It is called Artomat. Artomat is a project by an artist. What he has done is collected as many cigarette machines as possible what, you don't know what a cigarette machine is? Oh, you youngster. If you're my age, you knew that every bar, every hotel lobby, and every restaurant in the country had a vending machine for cigarettes, and they were always a certain shape and size. They usually had these poles that were like pinball machines, and you'd put in your dollar or $10 or whatever it is today, and pull the lever you wanted, and your cigarettes would come out. Well, they're actually illegal now. Cigarette vending machines are no longer legal in the United States under most conditions. So there's all these old cigarette machines laying around. And this artist thought that, well, let's repurpose them for something. And, well, what can we repurpose that for? And he thought, huh, art. Yes, folks, he created an art vending machine. And I'm not talking about, like, pictures of the Mona Lisa. I'm talking about actual art that actual people have created you can buy from these machines, and they're found all over the country. There's a map of them that, you know, if you're ever in a big city, like, for example, I know there's one in Las Vegas in one of the casinos, and you go in, and you usually have to buy a token, either from the bar or the restaurant or wherever it is. You put in the token, and then you have your choice of, like, 20 different pieces of art. Maybe it will be a hand-carved whistle. Maybe it'll be earrings made out of bones. Maybe it'll be a necklace that's a message in the bottle. Whatever it is, and there's infinite things it could be, you can get it out of a vending machine. I love, 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 love this idea. I've talked with the owner a few times, and I even thought about putting some of my own art in them. But alas, I am not an artist. I'm more of an art appreciator. So, Artomat, I will have a link in the show notes. It's just another one of these things that you can look to find wherever you are. They're in some of the most unusual places. And heck, often the place the Artomat is is interesting enough that if you just wanted to go look at each of these machines, which are artworks in and of themselves, they are amazing. That could be the free activity, and you don't actually have to buy the art. But hey, support the arts. 
buy some art if you can. Resource recommendation. I like Army Navy surplus stores, and when I was a kid growing up in the 70s, they were fairly common. But even by the 70s, a lot of the surplus had kind of dwindled down, and they basically became camping stores. And you'd get the occasional bit of military stuff, but eh, they were basically sporting goods stores with a military theme. But there are still some out there. I know Chicago has a few, and I found one online that is not a bad bet. And the reason I'm bringing it up here is because they sell things that you can't get anywhere else. And some of these things are useful for your van. Now, I have not used this company. I'm using this as an example of where to look, but I will give you the URL for this one company and talk about some of the things they have to give you the idea of what I'm talking about. It's called, unsurprisingly, armysurpluswarehouse.com. Now, armysurpluswarehouse.com is kind of an online version of the traditional Army-Navy store. They sell exactly what they say. Now, they also have a bunch of the other stuff that has nothing to do with the military. But they do have a lot of military stuff, and some of the stuff you can buy is interesting for vans. For example, you can buy parachute material. Not like fake parachute material, but the actual really heavy-duty nylon stuff. And imagine if you had a roll of that stuff, what kind of an awning you could make. Make your own awning out of parachute material? That could be pretty cool. They also sell big rubber sheets. If you're worried about water, maybe you could put down a big rubber sheet on your roof if you have an older van, or maybe on your floor if you have a newer van and you just want to protect it. They sell weird things, all different kinds of ammo boxes. Some of them are wood, some of them are metal. There's all different kinds. The idea here is that this place sells weird stuff that you may not be able to find anywhere else, and that is useful. If nothing else, it's really fun to look at. And again, every time you look at stuff, you can get new ideas, and that's what it's all about. So the URL is armysurpluswarehouse.com. I can't recommend them specifically because I've never purchased anything from them, but they appear to be a decent place to look for this stuff, and I do know they have stuff I have not seen anywhere else. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to this episode 75. Just a little bit of news. Simon Wagg, who does the music for this show and every show, just graduated from Champlain College in Vermont with a degree in video game design, for which he hopes to use his talents as a music and sound designer. And I know many of you have appreciated his music on the show, so I thought you would like to know. Until next time, remember the words of Jonathan Swift. No wise man ever wished to be younger. <laughs>